Listen again, people of God. This is the word of God to you. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me, hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all of these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness, and judgment, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will abide forever. You may be seated. I was told this week that my my gloom and doom introductions really do a great job of grabbing everyone's attention. And I'll try not to overdo it. Um, But I think uh, any of us who are looking around right now, who are listening to the news, who are reading articles, who are even just interacting with um, people in our communities who aren't in the church, I think there's a general sense that um, there's there's a crisis in front of the church in our time and in our place right now. Um, external pressure that we're feeling um, to dilute our message, 
um, to turn down maybe the volume on our message. Um, certainly, it's, it's less and less popular every day to be known clearly as a Christian. Um, we've seen efforts of, of some powerful, organized nature to quiet certain voices down, and I think we at least have the feeling that our voices as Christians are, are among these. We've also seen all sorts of things over the last couple of years that would have been almost impossible to imagine um, just 10 years ago. I say that just to lead us into to something else, and that is this. Whatever hard times may or may not be coming and whatever character they take, there's something I think that's extremely important for us to have in place as the body of Christ in order for us to be able to weather these things. And, and that is unity in the church. Um, the house divided itself not standing is not something original with Lincoln. That was actually Jesus that said that first. Um, it's just sort of a well-known principle. If you have a group that's under assault and that group is itself fragmented, uh, it's easy pickings at that point. Of course, unity in the church is something that we should have as a value, not just in times of danger or in times of uh, apparent or threatened oppression. I mean, this, this is a core value of what the church is supposed to be at all times. Um, the passage that we heard in our first scripture reading from Ephesians 4. This is, this is the goal toward which the entire church is supposed to be building over the centuries. Maturity in Christ, unity in Christ, growing up into the head that is Christ. But then how much more important, again, is this aspect of the church's life in times of crisis? But really, this just opens up a second crisis, not an external one, but an internal one. Because as we look at the church, as we look at the various denominations, the various movements within the church, as we look at even the Facebook interaction between people within the same churches or even in the same congregations, there's a really frightening mark that we do not have the unity that we will need in order to weather whatever storm is coming. Um, the church in this country has been divided for quite some time on larger issues of theology and practice of the church. Um, coming in more to more recent decades, we've had issues of women's ordination or gender roles in the family or sexual ethics that even within certain denominations have contributed to further fragmentation. And just in the last couple of weeks, um, it's, it's looked like we're heading even further away from the unity, even with circles that are relatively in line with one another on all of these other issues. So now we have masks and elections and riots and insurrections and vaccines that are threatening to break up the unity of the church. What's the remedy? Well, if what we're seeking is unity in the church, then as just a first step, even, we have to be sure that we're playing off the same sheet of music. Um, where, where, where is the foundation for our ideas? Why are we coming to these disagreements? How can we provide one standard that we can look at, that we can at least begin to work with, to sort of work through some of these 
issues. Believe it or not, this is an introduction to a sermon on the authority of Scripture. And it's the first, I hope, and and what I'll be able to do monthly, I want to introduce some of the Reformed distinctives. But I want to do that in in maybe something of a unique way. Um, Take this issue, for example. Take the issue of the authority of Scripture. We have very plain, very detailed, and, and really, I think, extraordinarily helpful statements in our doctrinal standards as to what Scripture is, as to the authority that Scripture has, as to how Scripture is to be used. Um, very helpful statements. Um, I would distill it into this one. Scripture is the only rule of faith and practice for the church. And there's all sorts of general passages that we could look at to, to bolster that, that claim. One of them very well known and familiar to all of us, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We could look through and find places in Acts where we see how the scriptures themselves, even where there are church councils coming together, even where there are church councils with apostolic authority, it's still the scriptures to which these men are looking. To answer these questions, we could look at Acts 17, where again, even the apostolic preaching itself, as it's coming into different areas, how the Bereans in Thessalonica are commended for examining the teaching of Paul in light of the scriptures they already have. A really extensive general case can be made from scripture for viewing the scriptures in this way, as the only rule for faith and practice in the church. But I do want to focus in this series of sermons on a more particular direction. What I want to do is present these Reformed distinctives specifically and their connection with what we understand and know and believe about the person and work of Christ. How do, how do, all of, how do our sola fide and our sola Christus, that one's easy, and our, and our sola scriptura and all these doctrines of the Reformation, how do they relate to the person and work of Christ? And what I think, how does the person and work of Christ actually help us to understand those doctrines more deeply? And then, because I'm not planning on doing a lecture series, but rather sermons, I also do want to look at how these things particularly impact our daily lives as Christians, our lives together as the church. So that was why the doom and gloom introduction on this one. Because I think that the doctrine of Scripture is set forth by the Reformation and specifically as illuminated through the person and work of Christ really is the only answer that we have to this question of how we can effectively and fruitfully pursue unity within the church, the kind of unity that we're just so desperately going to be needing in the years to come. So what is the Scripture's teaching about the relationship of Christ to the Scripture? There's there's three things I want to look at. Um, But I don't want to tell you what they are because I like suspense. So the first one, I'll tell you. The first one is we look at Christ's use of Scripture in the days of his flesh. As Christ, God made man and worshiping God as man and obeying God as man and receiving the Scriptures as man, what did he do with these? Well, we can point to a few places very briefly where 
Christ obviously believed everything that was said in the scriptures, where Christ said scripture cannot be broken, where Christ said the prophecies in scripture have to be fulfilled. And so there's Christ's trust and belief in the scriptures. Beyond that, we can see that Christ obeyed the scriptures. Again, as a man, serving God as a man. Probably uh, nowhere is this clearer than in the instance in the wilderness where Christ is there for 40 days being challenged and being tempted by Satan and specifically being tempted to do things that are contrary to word to the word and responding himself each time to those temptations with the word that says no I shouldn't be attempting to exalt myself no I shouldn't be doubting what God has said um, no I shouldn't be taking the easy way out by offering worship in a direction that it doesn't go So we see through the course of Christ's earthly life, his belief and his trust, his commitment to the scriptures, and his willingness to obey them, even in circumstances where obedience was extremely, extremely inconvenient and very uncomfortable. So if we just left it at that one point, Christ's example as a godly man, and if this is all we had, I think we would have enough to show us in the person and work of Christ that scripture is the standard by which we too ought to be measuring our own faith, our own belief, and our own practice. But moving to the second point about Christ in Scripture that we see in the Scriptures is that Christ was more than and much, much more than merely one who believed and obeyed the Scriptures. He is the subject matter of the Scriptures. He is what the Scriptures are about. Now certainly this is very easy to see Um, With respect to the Gospels, they're about Jesus. We can see that. Um, Maybe even in another sense that the rest of of the New Testament following the Gospels is also about Jesus. It's about Christ. It's about the implications of everything that he did in his death and resurrection and ascension. But if you might say, but if I heard you right, you said all of Scripture. Would this refer to the Old Testament as well? Well, yeah, this is the teaching of the New Testament about Christ's relationship to the Old Testament scriptures. Listen to some of these from the, from the mouth of Christ himself in Luke 24. He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then Luke describes, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them, all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Maybe you've encountered this. I saw a cute little cartoon about it in the last few months. The idea that there's the Bible over here and that there's Jesus over here. And that it's actually possible to accuse someone of not following Jesus because they're too slavishly connected to what the Bible says, as if there's a distinction between them. Christ is saying in his own words that Bible is not distinct from me in that way. The Bible is what actually informs you who I am. And through the course of his ministry and after, he was always directing people back. If you want to understand who the Christ is and what the Christ is about, you need to look to the scriptures. So this is a false dilemma. Do we follow the Bible or do we follow Jesus? John 5, uh, Jesus goes into even more detail on this. He accuses the religious leaders. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And that it is, but it is they, he said, that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. 
verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe my writings, how will you believe his words? Again, overtaking that false distinction. Jesus is saying, if you don't believe what I'm saying, you won't believe the scriptures and vice versa, this close connection. The scriptures are the only way we can know Christ, know who he is. It's the only way that we can agree on who Christ is. And as Jesus himself said, if we don't believe what the scriptures say about him, we're not really believing about him. We're not believing in him. What then, just for summary's sake, what is the content of the Old and New Testament scriptures? What is it that they're making known to us about Christ? Well, Christ again in that same passage summarized it this way. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So you hear that synopsis, that encapsulation of the gospel, Christ's death, Christ's resurrection, and the implications of that, the forgiveness of sins that is proclaimed throughout the world. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the central thread and the content that the scriptures give us about Jesus Christ. But, okay, turning point, listen, important point here. There's something else, there's something additional, there's another aspect to the gospel that over and over again, the scriptures focus their attention. That's very relevant to what we're talking about this morning. Peter presents this in his first sermon in the book of Acts. Listen to what he says. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. This is verse 32 of chapter 2. Now, verse 34. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The lordship of Jesus Christ, the authority that has been given to Christ is an essential element of the gospel. Why is this important? Because lordship means that he is the one who is to be listened to. He is the one to whom we are to submit. He is the one whose voice we are to obey. And this has, this has really important consequences. Listen to what Jesus himself said about his own lordship. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? And then he explains the consequences of this. Everyone who comes to me, hears my words, does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears them and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of the house was great. At issue in your submission to or rejection of the lordship of Jesus Christ, at issue is the collapse of your entire life, Jesus is teaching here. This is true on an individual level. 
I think going back to our introduction, this is also true on a, on a corporate level. The collapse of a church is the only expected end to a church that will not submit to the lordship of Christ together. The first passage that we heard read this morning from Ephesians 4 focuses on the oneness, oneness of his lordship. There is one Lord. If we're to survive as a church, we have to be committed together to the one lordship of our one Lord Jesus Christ. But, what does that look like? How does that work? How does the lordship of Christ express itself? This brings us back to Christ and scripture. And this is point three. The scriptures were believed and obeyed by Christ. The scriptures were about Christ. And what we have to understand is that the scriptures are themselves the words of Christ. Okay, again, we say, okay, well, I, I have a Bible and I have red letters and I got you, right? Those are the words of Christ. I get that. Um, but is, is, is there more to it than that? Well, yeah, I mean, there's a sense in which the Gospels themselves, I mean, um, the Gospels themselves are the, the words of the apostles that are reporting what, what Jesus had said and what he had done. How do the apostles factor into this? Again, we get into a situation frequently where the apostles and Jesus are pitted against one another. Yes, this is what Paul said, or this is what Paul did, but what did Jesus do? A question you hear from time to time. Well, again, there's a false dilemma and a false distinction there with respect to that. Listen just to the Great Commission itself, and listen how that distinction holds up. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. The Great Commission itself shows us that what the apostles are doing is merely carrying out and continuing the ministry of Christ in proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the truth, and commanding God's people to behave in certain ways, the way that Christ commanded the apostles. This gets flushed out later in what the apostles themselves write. Second Peter 3.1, Peter says, This is now the second letter I am writing to you, beloved. And both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. There's no distinction between what Christ proclaimed, what Christ's will expressed to his church is, and what the apostles have said. They are expressing the will that he has revealed to them. And this extends to what they wrote themselves. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 14, 37. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. And then adds this. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Well, <laughs> what was Paul actually talking about when he said that? Um, this rather uncontroversial, uh, uncontroversial verse. The women should keep silent in the churches, but they are not permitted to speak, and so on and so forth. Paul is saying, even the things that I'm saying that I know are widely unpopular, as an apostle, listen, this is the word of Christ. This is the command of Christ. The scriptures are the words of Christ. 
Oh, you say, okay, well, I, you know, I remember learning about Scripture and about the inspiration and about the qualities of Scripture, and I thought that the, that the Scriptures were the words of the Spirit, that it was actually the Spirit that was inspiring the Scriptures. This is true. And even as the words of the apostles were inspired to speak and write by the Spirit, those words themselves were also the words of Christ. Listen, Luke 24, 48. You were witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed on power, with power from on high. What is Jesus talking about there? Referring back to Luke 16, what we had for our second scripture reading. Listen to how this dynamic works of Christ's authority and the apostolic mission and the inspiration of scripture. Listen. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you, apostles, to whom he's speaking, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, here's the critical point, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. How does, how does the, the doctrine of, of Scripture and its connection with Christ work? The apostolic writings, writings inspired by the Spirit, even these are the words of Christ that the Spirit gave to the apostles. One more step, though. Uh, everything I've said so far about the words being Christ's words would seem to limit itself to the New Testament. Is, does it go beyond that? Listen to what Peter said in his first letter that he mentioned. 1 Peter 1.10 Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent, subsequent glories. Even in this verse in Peter, you see the same dynamic that we're talking about. We have Christ as the content of Scripture. This is what the prophets are seeing. This is what they're talking about. But we also have the fact that it's the Spirit of Christ himself that is working and revealing these things to the prophets that they're expressing. There isn't any way that we can reasonably pit Christ against the Scripture. Christ in the days of his flesh believed the scripture. He obeyed it. The scripture is about him. The scripture is from him. And so, if Christ is the Lord of our faith and our practice, and the scriptures are the word of our Lord Jesus Christ, then scripture is the authority for our faith and practice. Now, of course, not everyone accepts this. Uh, We have some even who would call themselves Christians that would go as far as to deny it altogether. Um, the scripture, even maybe in, the, in their view, if it gives us some helpful truths about spiritual things, it's just simply the word and the opinion of fallible men. It doesn't really have to be taken seriously. Others that wouldn't go that far, perhaps, that maybe would soft-pedal that doctrine in a bit. Yeah, lots of what the scripture says... Um, is the will of Christ, but some parts clearly aren't, they would say. And if you ask them how they can tell which parts are what Christ is saying and what part just somebody else is saying, 
Um, oftentimes, it happens just really convenient to line up with cultural trends. Um, well, the things that Christ said that, or seems to have said, that go against what we all believe in this society right now, of course those aren't really the words of Christ. Or maybe even more personally, those things that Christ said that I just find uh, that I don't like, or that I think are difficult, that it would be too hard, that's probably where someone's human opinion just, just slipped in there. Of course, there's also then the, another view that you have the authority of Scripture, but you have no access, people of God, to the authority of Scripture because your church magisterium is, is what is the authoritative interpreter for you. Or maybe even on the other end of the spectrum, we have the authority of Scripture, but my private spirit relation, uh, revelations that I have are really on the same level or sometimes even superseding Scripture. There's all kinds of ways that we can find to deny or to downplay or just ignore the authority of Scripture. But I don't think that's what most of us in this room do. Um, others will, will say, us, I mean, I, I would put most of us in this, in this category, um, yeah, we understand this. When the Scriptures are the words, words of Christ, and all of them are, and they're all authoritative. But we struggle to put it into practice, perhaps. So we know the whole of Scripture is the word of Christ. It alone conveys the will of our one Lord. And maybe we even know, okay, our culture isn't our Lord. Our political party isn't our Lord. Our church magisterium is not our Lord. Jesus is. But still, what we find ourselves doing? Well, maybe too easily overlooking or just dismissing in Scripture things that we think shouldn't be there. Maybe we wouldn't point to that verse and say, uh, that, that's not Scripture. But we don't read certain passages of Scripture because of the way they bother us. Maybe the opposite. Too easily finding in Scripture what we really hoped would be there. Not carefully enough questioning our assumptions. Maybe not even looking for the answers to particular questions in Scripture. It doesn't even cross our minds. What we have to realize is that really what we're doing when we ignore or overlook or dismiss or just not even bother to take a look at what the Scripture teaches and what Scripture commands, we're ignoring, we're overlooking, we're dismissing, or we're neglecting to listen for the voice of Christ. These are the same thing. The lightness with which, we, which we, we treat the scriptures is the lightness with which we treat the lordship of Christ over our lives. We have to be examining thoroughly, and especially in times like this when we're just all over the place as a church, we have to come back to this. We have to make this a discipline. We have to work at this. What does the scripture actually say about X? And we need to be doing it in every single area of life. Really? Well, I can see how we would want to do it in our theology, maybe the ways that we do church, maybe some of the practices of the church. I mean, because after all, Christ is is Lord of the church. That makes sense. Rule of faith and practice for the church to be the church and do churchy things. Of course, it's way beyond that. Um, Jesus Christ is Lord of the church. True. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. 
Jesus Christ is not just Lord of the church. Jesus Christ is Lord of your family, of your personal life, of your individual life. His lordship extends all the way down to the last detail of everything that you are and everything that you think and everything that you do. Your families. This is why scripture has so much to say about how husbands and wives are to interact with one another. Parents and children are to conduct themselves with one another. That's why it has so much to say even just about personal relationships and reaction and responses to one another and bearing with one another. It's because Christ has the right to tell you how to conduct yourself in those ways. And it's probably in our families, maybe, that um, where we encounter a lot of the things that really kind of go against our cultural outlook and things that we're not really willing to consider because it's just so different from the way we grew up. Look to Scripture for these things. But okay, we started off at the beginning saying there's all sorts of sources for divisions in the church, things that are, that are wrecking and threatening to further wreck in our unity wreck our unity. We've got the theological, we've got the ecclesiological issues. We've got maybe even like the family issues that sometimes can come up in a congregation um, and cause division and dissension among people who have different views of this or this kind of schooling or this kind of discipline. Um, But now that we're entering a phase where probably more than ever, I don't know, but it seems like it and it feels like it, more than ever, what is threatening to blow this up is politics. How do, we, how do we apply the same standard and the same idea to, to, to those issues? Um, I mean, yeah, Christ, Lord of the church, Lord of the family. Great, we can go along with that. Jesus Christ is Lord of the church. Jesus Christ is Lord of the family. Jesus Christ is Lord of the nations. All of them. Listen to Revelation 1, verse 4. As John's introducing this book that he's presenting, he says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. This is who Jesus Christ is. His lordship is absolutely universal all the way up to the kings that rule the nations oh, I mean that's, that's kind of a poetic image but it, does it really have any actually practical effect David seemed to think so Psalm 2 verse 10 now therefore O kings be wise be warned O rulers of the earth serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled blessed are all who take refuge in him we cannot think that politics that statecraft that commonwealth is something that is somehow outside of the Lordship of Christ and consequently something that Scripture cannot speak to. Does Scripture speak to the nations in the exact same way and about the exact same things that it does to the church? No, there is a difference. But they do speak to the nations. They do speak to the kings of the earth. Okay, well, very few of us would fall in that category. Um, We're not princes. We don't rub shoulders with many princes. So, how, how does this principle, yeah, Christ is the Lord of the nations. All of the kings have an obligation to obey Christ. What, what does that mean about us? Well, 
Christ is Lord of the nations. He's also Lord over the way in which his people live among those nations. Christ is Lord of the particular goals and desires that his people are seeking to accomplish as they live among those nations. And Christ is Lord of the way that we go about seeking to accomplish those things. Christ is the Lord of your political life. And so in this, as in everything else that we've talked about, Scripture has to be our ultimate standard for how we approach these things as well. If you're in a political argument and Patrick Henry is really the best you can do, probably just want to dig a little bit deeper. Patrick Henry could be completely accurately and fully representing what the Scripture says. But you can't assume that. You have to look at these things carefully. You have to study these things carefully. And that all begins with just acknowledging even that Christ has anything to do with it. And he does. He has everything to do with it. And he has everything to do with the way that you engage in it. In every area of our lives, every area of our lives, we need to be striving to conform our thoughts and our words and our actions to the will of our one Lord Jesus Christ and the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments taken together and interpreted properly as a whole. They are the expression of that will. And when we pursue Christ's will in this way, as he himself says, we're following the path of stability and blessing and security. Not like a house that crumbles when a storm comes, but a house that stands when a storm comes. And when we do this not just individually, but when we do this all together, if we are striving as part of our communal life as the church to seek Christ's word in the scriptures in every area of our life, well, how far can that go in eliminating the causes of disunity? Will it bring us all to the exact same conclusion in all of these matters? No. It's not supposed to. We know it's not supposed to because part of the, the assumption running through the New Testament, even into the, the church as it's been established, is that people are going to disagree about certain things. There's going to be diversity of opinion within the church on how specifically to put certain things into practice or what to believe about them or even what goals to pursue. But even the diversity that we experience within Christ's body, even that diversity is under the Lordship of Christ. And he is the one who instructs us how to deal with it. Listen just to one example of this. So far, diet hasn't threatened to blow up this church, but there's more behind it theologically. But listen, Romans 14, 2. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Again, that's just another encapsulation. There's a lot more that's said at the end of Romans about how do we live together when we just really disagree on things. But again, even in that issue, we have the scriptures that we turn to. We follow Christ's will as he's expressed it, even covering his lordship over our diversity. And so, by pursuing what Christ tells us, even through that diversity, that unity that we need can be maintained. 
And that's what's going to be necessary, I think, to help us weather whatever storms may be coming against the church. Let us pray.